Welcome to the Dr. Lori Marbus podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbus, and I will be your host for today's amazing conversation with Dr. Scott Stoll. Dr. Scott Stoll is not only a past Olympian, he was part of the 1994 United States Olympic bobsled team, but he's also a physician. He's Welcome to the Dr. Lori Marvis podcast, and I'm Dr. Lori Marvis. I am your host for today, and I am so thankful to introduce to you Dr. Scott Stoll, co-founder of the Plantrician Project and the International Journal of Disease Reversal and Prevention. How are you today, sir? Hi, Lori. It's so great to be back with you, and I just uh, I'm so thankful to be with you and your audience. It's just a real blessing today. Well, I it likewise, and it's always such an honor to, one, you have wisdom that just drips off of you that I, I try to, you, you know, gather as much as I can, but we, you're just so insightful and so giving, and we're, I just really want to share everything that you've done. So I guess let's start back to, you know, just in case people don't, that was early on when we did our first interview, just kind of, you know, where you entered into the plant-based realm, physician, you were an Olympian, I mean, did the depth of you is deep. <laughs> I thought you make sense. Oh, thanks, Lori. Um, yeah, it's, you know, I think the, uh, the story of how I got started is the story that so many people tell because, you know, as you know, we're just not taught these things. And especially, you know, when I started this journey, um, you know, more than 15 years ago, um, all of this information on plant-based uh, nutrition and and reversing disease was was fairly scant and very difficult to find. So, you know, just the, the, the brief background that, that um, you know, I always like to tell is even when I was growing up, I just loved the human body. In fact, mm -hmm. one of my favorite books when I was 10, 12 years old was The Athlete's Body, and they went through the physiology of all the systems. And I read that book so many times until the cover fell off. I just absolutely loved it. And you know, as I was going through college, I was nutritional science, biochem, and, um, and pre-med. And you know, I went through these nutrition classes and learned all about nutrition, thought I understood nutrition. I grew up in a family that was you know, health-oriented. My dad used to buy bags of uh, bran and put that in his orange juice and drink bran. And he was always experimenting with how to make a healthier chocolate cake and using things like parab instead of chocolate and different sweeteners. Never tasted quite as good as the the old chocolate cake that he made. So I grew up in a family that was health oriented. I really thought I understood what it took to be healthy and how to make better choices. I ended up, you know, um, running track in college and was able to make the 1994 Olympic bobsled team. And again, you know, as a, an athlete, fit, strong, you know, four or 5% body fat, think you know what nutrition is and what it takes to be healthy. Mm. And, you know, looking back on what I ate, I can't believe what I used to eat, you know, it's, but I had that concept that I'm working out really hard and I'm burning thousands of calories every day. So if I just burn it off, it has no negative effect. And so, you know, even at the uh, Olympic Training Center, ice cream available, Dove bars available 24 hours a day. And so you work out really hard and you go in and have two Dove bars because you're going to burn it off. So that was, that was the way that I lived. And as I went through medical school and then residency, um, you know, learned how to take care of patients. And I started doing that in, in my practice, you know, as a young doctor, as you know, you're a little bit nervous and you're seeing patients, you're making decisions, checking it in the books. And I'd write prescriptions. I would do procedures, send them for tests, you know, read MRIs. And I felt really proud that I was making some good diagnosis, sometimes some obscure diagnoses and felt like I was a good doctor. 
And I kept hearing my patients tell me the same thing on a daily basis. You know, Dr. Stoll, can't you help me? I'm falling apart. And uh, I would go to a family get together and, you know, my uncle would say, you know, I'm falling apart. I don't know what's going on with me. You know, and one, you don't want to be that way yourself. I don't want to ever fall apart. And so I would just laugh with them and, and joke. And as a physician, I would just order a test and think that this was natural. This was the natural progression of life. And that's what I think we were all taught in medical school is that you, you know, genetically are susceptible to these diseases. They appear in your life. They never go away. They progressively get worse over time. You have to take medications to slow the effects and to prevent, you know, secondary complications of these, um, these issues. And that's just your lot in life. Mm. And uh, so, you know, that was my, that was kind of my, my thinking, my paradigm for all of this. And, you know, there was a day in my practice and I'll never forget that day. There was a woman that came in and she sat on the exam table and she said to me, Dr. Stoll, can't you help me? I'm falling apart. And she had a big smile on her face and I had her past medical history and medications in front of me. And I knew her chief complaint that day. And I just stopped her and I said, you know, everybody tells me they're falling apart. Can you tell me what that means to you? And uh, I thought, you know, in anticipating this, as a doctor often does, you know, we, we're, we're trying to think ahead of our patients, not always listening, right? <laughs> so I was looking at her past medical history, thinking she would start at the top of the list, go down, talk about surgeries and, you know, medications. And the first thing that she said to me stopped me in my tracks. She said, my marriage is falling apart because my husband is sick and tired of taking care of me. And I haven't traveled to see my great grandchildren in three years. You know, and we're facing financial bankruptcy because the cost of my healthcare medications have been so expensive. My friends have stopped coming around and I feel very depressed and I, I don't have any hope left in my life. And then she had tears running down her cheeks and she leaned forward and she said, Dr. Stoll, can you help me? Boy, and that was a moment in my practice um, where I realized that I had not been trained to help somebody that was wanting to put their life back together. And it was a realization to me that all of these diagnoses on her charts and all of these medications and complications were far more than diagnoses and disease processes and abnormal lab results and imaging. This was eroding like the most important aspects of her life, those things that really were valuable and meaningful for all of us. Mm. And I realized also in that moment that I had not been trained to actually help somebody put their life to, back together again. And I wondered, was it possible? You know, if this is the state of her life and all of the most valuable things have been taken away by these disease processes, is that what's happening to all these other people that are telling me their lives are falling apart? And I walked out of that room and I asked myself a question. I said, Scott, what are you going to do for the next person that really wants help putting their life back together again? You know, is there something that you can do? There's got to be something. Because that's the, the essence of medicine, I think, for so many of us, that we went into medicine because we wanted to help people. We all said that in our interviews for medical school. And, uh, you know, that was, that was my heart. And um, it left me with, a, you know, a pretty wide gap between what I thought I should do and my desires in medicine and actually what I was doing, this huge chasm between those two things. And I wondered if there was a bridge between you know, those two chasms. So that set me on this journey of trying to understand and learn and, and figure this out. And, you know, I, I first, um, as I think I've shared with you, Laura, I started out reading diet books because I thought, you know, there's lots of these doctors writing diet books and certainly one of them must have an answer. So I started at Atkins, 
and I read my way through sugar busters all the way to zone diet. And when I finished that process, I read a lot of those books. I was more confused than when I started, even with a nutritional science background, you know, I, I did not know if it was high fat, low fat, low carb, high carb, you know, if it was a cabbage soup diet, if it's swallowing the tapeworm, which is one of my favorite diets, you know, what, oh my goodness. what is the solution? You know, what is the solution? So that's not changed since you started this journey 15 years ago. It has not changed, no. Mm -hmm. And every year there's a new diet and a new spin on that, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, 45 million people a year start a diet. And, you know, largely the research shows that, uh, you know, it's a large meta-analysis of these studies looking at more than 900 diet um, studies. And they found that at five years, only 15% of people were able to keep five pound, uh, 20 pounds off. So I always like to joke with people, you know, um, how many of you would be willing to take on a really difficult task for the next four to six months that requires deprivation and starvation um, and only have a 15% success rate? And not many people are willing to do that. And yet every year, you know, millions of people in January try to find a solution. Mm. And the real challenge with all of that is at the end of, of that dietary, you know, cycle where you gain the weight back and you start to have this negative self-talk about who you are and lack of self-discipline, and you know, that only compounds the problem. And so that whole diet industry is, is a failed strategy. And the other thing that I noticed about these dietary books is none of them addressed the real issue that I was seeing, which was these diseases, these most common diseases that we all see in our practices on a daily basis, were eroding the quality of life and none of the diet books addressed preventing or reversing any of the diseases that are stealing away the quality of life. Mm. And so I said, well, it can't be any of these things, even though there's lots of science for each of those. And that was the confusing aspect is they all quoted scientific studies uh, that validated their position, but none of them identified reversal of disease. Mm. So you were searching for that in the very beginning. I want to just go back just a little bit and just kind of reiterate your patient. And I, I think many people are going to be able to sympathize with her or connect or say, yeah, that's exactly what's going on. There's no hope, right? Because I think when the coolest thing about the plant-based diet and, or just this in general, you start giving people hope that those things, those diagnoses they, that they've become or they identify themselves with can be reversed or improved dramatically. And that there is, there is another side to their life. They, their trajectory doesn't have to go in what they've been seeing, but they just need a little help seeing a different future and moving towards that. So I, I think that's really important that people understand the cool thing is that you start feeling better, you start making better you know, decisions and your relationships improve and you have more energy to go see your grandkids and different things like that. Yeah, and I think you said it so well there, Lori, that the, the essence of all of this is hope. Mm -hmm. you know, that was what I was so excited about as I, I discovered plant-based nutrition is it's, it is hope built. And that's the one thing that I discovered in my practice, and so many of our colleagues do as well, that, you know, medicine has very little hope. I mean, there are some procedures and there are some things where you can, you know, solve the issue for the person. And that's very hope-filled. 
But so much of medicine today, which is treating all of these chronic diseases, as you know, the CDC has said that 75% of the cost of healthcare today is treating diseases that are related to lifestyle choices. So the, the vast majority of what physicians are doing is treating diseases that, that, you know, at least in their estimation, don't have a solution. And the people that are coming for treatment, you know, come in and they also don't have a long-term solution. And in fact, you know, we end up speaking negatively towards our patients and words have power. And, you know, I, I would hear patients come to me and they would say that, you know, my healthcare practitioner had said to me that there is no hope. It's only going to get worse over time or that my case is the worst they've ever seen. And so, you know, we start to steal away hope from people and they become hopeless. Um, and so I love that plant-based nutrition you know, not only, as we'll talk about a little later, does it have this amazing power to reverse disease, but it, it has an incredible injection of hope into someone's life, and hope is powerful. In fact, the, the research shows when somebody has hope, it, it turns on the, like, machinery in the mind that allows somebody to begin actively planning for their future. It, it um, gives them an intentionality about accomplishing things that they didn't mm. have before. I think you're exactly right. And I think, you know, and I had a similar path, right? That you were doing the guidelines and continue to keep patients continue to get worse and you were putting band-aids. I, I heard a really interesting um, example would be, it'd be like if you're driving your car and the light comes on and you ignore it, well, you know, the engine light comes on, you're going to end up broken on the side of the road. Well, your body's the same thing, right? So illness, chronic disease are your engine lights going off. And I see, you know, Western medicine in the sense of we practice, you know, by guidelines and medications is just basically putting a bandaid over it. It, you know, maybe fixing a few things under the hood, but it, over in the long run, the process is still occurring. We're still going to end up broken on the side of the road. And I thought that was a really interesting, you know, analogy. And, but you're exactly right. For me, the hope was it became very contagious, right? So, because I have not seen anyone not get better. <laughs> That's the coolest thing. This has a hundred percent. I mean, it was a thousand batting average. I was like, you may not get off all the meds or have a hundred percent reversal, but you, in many cases you do, but to optimize your health is I've seen nothing like it. And, um, people, you know, it's, it's, it's really easy to get excited. And then they're like, wow, she's like really, you know, into this. So I'm like, yes, I am. Because you can see the hope for them and then you want to be a part of that right because that's that's the joy of medicine is healing so that is the joy of medicine and you know i often think about it in this way that you know in in uh, physics they're always looking for this unifying theory of the universe you know is it string theory is it the multiverse but um i you know it's i think about plant-based nutrition kind of like that for so many things in healthcare that it is a unifying principle of so many things, you know, as, as we look at every system in the body, more and more science is showing us all the way down to the, the most minute molecular level, there are positive changes, you know, turning on genes, reducing inflammation, you know, activating neurons, reducing neuroinflammation. I mean, incredible from top mm -hmm. to bottom, and we can talk about that later. Mm -hmm. But the process itself also infuses hope to people, they naturally lose weight, they feel better, you know, cognitively and emotionally, they start to feel better. It connects them in different ways with the whole system of the world and the food system. And they begin to be thoughtful about where their food comes from. 
they naturally become a little more compassionate to the food choices and, um, and uh, sources of their food. They become more appreciative of the environment and the idea that sun and rain are both needed to bring plants and we're thankful for rainy days. You know, we become connected to the power of healthy living soil. We become concerned about our neighbors in a different way. Uh, you know, it's, it, it, it really transforms all of life. It connects families as they connect around the power of food and brings them back into the kitchen and eating around the table together. It's, mm -hmm. It is remarkable how it touches you know, this entire ecosystem of life. I like how you say that it's it's almost being mindful because that's kind of the buzzwords we're hearing of I like it the mindful the ecosystem of life so you become mindful of what's going in your body and you're experiencing these changes and then you're like it's like the you know the blinders come off and they're like well what else is going on that that's how it happened for me as like then you start understanding the environment and you understanding the animals and that connection with people but what's really interesting is I think it changes people's thoughts. And I've been playing around with this idea is, is that there's thought systems. Like you have to think of a thought as a system, right? I can inject a thought that may actually change someone's trajectory because it changes their thinking. So I think it's, it's very simple when you start feeling better and you start thinking about the thoughts and healing that it changes your focus. So then you start imagining a different future and you start building toward your body or your mind will actually take you there moving in that direction because it that's okay if that's where your focus that's where we'll go <laughs> at least that's been my experience um i don't know if yeah. you have any you know i'm just thinking about um you know a couple of uh, people that i've taken care of where this has been so evident and i know that you have these as well i was thinking of a man named terry who lives down in texas and uh, you know terry was in his late 60s when this first happened he was you know 150 pounds overweight severe heart disease cardiopulmonary disease on 18 medications, in a wheelchair, had a heart attack, went to the hospital because of his pulmonary condition, was not able to undergo bypass surgery. And so, um, you know, our good friend, uh, Dr. State Notry, who's down there in Midland, uh, told um, Terry, you know, listen, I can't do surgery right now. The only thing you can do to save your life is change your diet. So, you know, Terry said, all right, well, I gotta change my diet. So he changed his diet, he ended up losing more than 150 pounds, came off nearly all of his medications, went from a wheelchair to only using a cane just for stability, but no longer for pain or, um, or disability. But the real transformation came not just in the physical characteristics and the normalization of blood sugars and discontinuation of medications for diabetes and re reversal of heart disease. The real change came in who he was. He became a bright star in the community. He began to open up his home for regular plant-based community meetings. He began to connect people. He began to be an ambassador for the message and bringing hope to people that were hopeless. He began volunteering with people at the hospital. Um, his relationship with his wife and his grandchildren changed. I mean, everything about this man changed because he decided to change what he ate and he had some hope. And it's the hope and the inspiration of that experience that, it, like you're saying, it changed this whole process of thinking in his mind about who he was and how he interacted with the world around him. I mean, imagine the amount of creation and amazing things that we're missing because people are so weighed down with chronic disease and debilitation, depression, because, you know, disease, physical disease in of itself is a major factor in depression and anxiety. 
what are we missing from these, these one, you know, one individual, imagine that what he's the impact he's had in his community. What if you have, you know, 75% of chronic disease sufferers, which I, I don't know how many I, millions and billions of people across the world, what are we missing out on because of what we're consuming? Yeah. And I really feel like one of the, um, you know, kind of hidden purposes for me and all of this is, is helping people to realize that they have a gift to share in life mm. and then helping them to realize, you know, health and wellness so they can actually share their gift. And, you know, what's interesting at the immersions, uh, the health immersions that we do with Whole Foods, we have a hundred very unhealthy people that come and spend a week with us. By the end of the week, they all say the same thing. They say, I've not had this much mental clarity since I was in high school. And, you know, we're now learning through the research that functional MRIs and um, new research is showing that people have chronic levels of neuroinflammation from the food they're eating, mm. which causes a, a mild depression over their brain. And as soon as that inflammation starts to resolve, their depression and anxiety scores go down and they they naturally begin to feel better. And as you naturally begin to feel better, you have more energy and intentionality about your life and more conscious of the things around you and more hope-filled. So even in a week, we see a change in you know, the, the clarity that can come from a whole food plant-based diet. That's interesting too, because you know, I do like to remind people you know, what we're eating I mean, it goes in us and it's in this intestinal tract, which is a big part of us. And so there's a microbiome and there's the inflammation and autoimmune disease. And there's so much, I mean, there, um, I know there was a study with, you know, children with autism because they had noted that um, autistic children um, had improvement as far as their behavior during fevers. So the body makes, their brain makes, uh, our brains make a, a particular substance that decreases inflammation when we have elevated temperature to protect the brain. And so what they found is that the individuals who consume broccoli or any of these cruciferous vegetables, especially broccoli, um, certain quantities are, you know, I don't want to get into specifics, all the biochemistry stuff, but what happens is you get the same effect. And so it was really interesting. And of course, there was a worry about some bias that the families were very hopeful and were these, you know, judgments on their improvement just based on hope that they would get better. Does it really matter? I mean, if you're seeing improvement, um, if it's quantified, you know, objectively or subjectively, it's a positive improvement in that home with a child that's chronically ill. So I find it, and all they're doing is consuming broccoli. <laughs> it's not like I'm saying, here, take this medication that may have potential side effects of death and such and things. <laughs> so, and, you know, granted for scientific rigor and everything, you want to be objective. I, I get all that. But again, so you're infusing hope by changing a diet, even in someone who's debilitated with autism. That is incredible. I think that's fascinating. So tell me, about the Plantrition Project. Now, how did this get started? What are your hopes and vision? I mean, it is growing astronomically. Um, tell me more about it. Yeah, so, you know, as I changed my own practice and uh, realized the benefits, and then I started doing health immersions for Whole Foods where, um, you know, they would identify the most unhealthy employees of Whole Foods and send them to spend a week with us. We saw incredible transformations in their health, even in just a week. And it just it reinforced to me the power of food, even in one week, to begin reversing decades of, of injury from a Western diet. But out of that process, you know, I started to realize that, you know, this took me a really long time and a lot of work to learn this information. 
And I have lots of colleagues and, and friends that would also like to learn this. And there's no real centralized way to, to learn about plant-based nutrition and the application as a healthcare practitioner. So just one evening at dinner, I was sitting with my friend, Tom Dunham, who's a partner in the Plantation Project and the Immersions. And I said to Tom, you know, we really should start a conference to help educate, educate healthcare practitioners and teach them how to, to apply plant-based nutrition in a, in a healthcare setting. And Tom's great. He said, all right, let's do it. And we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. And thankfully, we were kind of bailed out by our third partner, Dr. Uh, Susan Benegas, um, who's now the executive director also at ACLM. And she came in and she understood marketing and was able to help us market the conference and actually fill the seats. But, you know, the three of us put on our first conference on a shoestring budget um, in uh, Naples, Florida. And, you know, we had almost 200 people that attended the first conference. And so, you know, since that time, the conference has grown and we'll have about 1,200 healthcare practitioners. And the, the exciting thing to me is that, you know, 70% of those are, are physicians from more than 30 countries. And so we have this really robust group of healthcare pro providers that are learning about plant-based nutrition and applying it in their practices. And, you know, they, they say that, um, you know, the average healthcare provider, physician, you know, has about 2,500 patients or 3,000 patients under their care. And so when we think about, you know, 1,200 healthcare providers at this conference, you know, we're talking about millions of lives that can be touched through mm -hmm. something like the Plantrition Project. And the project has grown. We don't do just conferences. We are creating lots of different um, resources for physicians, quick start guides, pediatric quick start guides. You know, we're trying to do lots of different things to help uh, enable and equip healthcare providers to make those changes as well. Oh, there you go. Thank you. Yes, I will. I will put a plug in, you guys. This is fantastic. The Plant Nutrition Projects, the Plant Based Nutrition Quick Start Guide. If I would have had this six and a half years ago when I started, I wouldn't have needed to kill thirty trees because I had to, you know, thirty pages <laughs> of my own trying to get it all figured out, and it's all laid out. I mean, literally. You could highlight for your patients the different things that they need. You guys, you can order it on their website. Do it. At least order one for yourself, and you'll want to order more for your patients. If, if you're a regular person, order some for your friends. If you're plant-based, share the word. These are amazing guides. So, And it's a free download. Thank you, Lori. Appreciate oh, it's a free download. Yes. It's a free download on uh, plantritionproject.org. And uh, so that's, that's a great resource. We've also created a resource, plantbakestocks.com. Uh, for people to find a healthcare practitioner, and that's growing. I think there's more than a thousand healthcare providers. And if you're a healthcare provider and you'd like to be listed, it's free right now to be listed on that website. So, uh, plantbaseddocs.com, and you can list yourself there. And it's a global directory. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're trying to grow that directory so that when people um, want to find somebody to help them, they'll be able to go and find a healthcare provider that understands, you know, the intersection between good medicine and plant-based nutrition, and you actually need both. Mm -hmm. You absolutely do. And it's really important, especially for someone who has hypertension or diabetes, they need to be under the care of a physician who understands that if you're on insulin and you do this 100% the first day, you probably need to cut your insulin in half. I mean, these are things that I had to learn the hard way. <laughs> Luckily, I have very, you know, astute pa you know, patients that I had, and they were marching things carefully, calling me, hey, Dr. Marvis, blood sugars, you know, 98 and I'm on this much insulin in the morning. I'm like, oh, let's cut that down. Because <laughs> yeah, like, there really wasn't a place to go learn. I was like, I didn't understand the power of the food. 
And boy, I have respect for it now. Um, but you're exactly right. And that's so amazing. But I think it's important to bring out, just speaking as physicians, we, we're an interesting breed of individual. And <laughs> in a good and bad, we have our moments. Um, I, but I think we all in our heart, we went into medicine wanting to heal and make people better and the, place of the world a better place. But what's really sad is seeing the dark side of medicine and what it does to individuals. Um, at least, you know, from colleagues and just seeing personal experience, you know, depression that's setting in and burnout. And it's very difficult to reach out for help when you're a physician because it can actually cause you to lose your license. You can have issues with hospital privileges, um, staffing, and it can be a big deal. So many people suffer in silence. And I think the thing that was really cool about taking on something like this is one, you're feeding yourself. So you're going to want to walk the talk. I mean, just, it's just, you got to do that. But the second thing is what it does to you and your practice and then your own personal life. I've seen that really change, you know, on a personal level, physicians in, you know, um, some thoughts because physicians have the highest suicide rate of any profession. And I, it just breaks my heart to see young professionals so burned out just in their first year of either your attendance practice or in residency or even in medical students, having a daughter who's entering her second year of medical student now, or school now, I'm highly concerned about that. But I, I think that's the joy. You know, when I go to these conferences like Plantrition, my husband's like, you're going to your tribe because I get so excited. I was like, yes. <laughs> Not that I don't love my family, but there's something cool and special to, to be at the group of people who do what we do. Like, does that make sense? Yeah, it sure does, you know, and I, I think back on myself and I think so many, you know, healthcare providers the same way in physicians, you know, where we have a vision or almost like we create a blueprint in our mind as we're applying to medical school and as we're sitting in those first year classes and we start seeing patients, you know, in our third year and taking care of people. You have this kind of blueprint of what you expect it to be. And then you get into practice and the reality doesn't meet those expectations. And I think that's where this, um, this kind of low-level depression can set in. And as we know, you know, today, there's so many articles on this endemic nature of physician burnout. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as medicine has really began to shift toward volume-based medicine based on RVUs and, you know, this whole long list of acronyms that, you know, all of us are, you know, EHRVUs and CMEs mm -hmm. and all these things that, you know, that come between us and our vision of really trying to help people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's five and 10 minute visits and long lists of tasks and you know, mm -hmm. billing questions and all of this, the challenges of healthcare today mm -hmm. really leaves a lot of burnout for our colleagues. And I have a great heart for our colleagues that uh, are in that situation because it's, you know, again, like you mentioned, it, it sometimes feels hopeless. Mm -hmm. You know, you've spent so many years of your life getting to this place to practice as a physician. You're practicing on a daily basis. You go in and you've got a long list of 40 patients and long list of calls to return and medication refills and medications are getting kicked back by insurance and you have to call. And I mean, it's just, it doesn't end and it really is very frustrating. But that's where we see this infusion of plant-based nutrition that, that re-inspires or rekindles a little bit of hope because you, like you said, you naturally start to feel better because you have energy in the morning and some of the inflammation resolves. Uh, and if you know you start seeding your practice and you'll have a few people that actually take you up on your offer and they do it and they start to feel better and they come back and they're happy and they're you know joyful and they're grateful and that just it brings you know some joy back into the practice of medicine even if it's just a few 
And I found in my own practices, I started to do this with my patients using my prescription pad to write breakfast, lunch, and dinner and smoothie recipes, that my patients got better. Um, they were nicer to uh, my staff. My staff started doing this. My staff felt better. They were nicer to the patients. And like the whole ecosystem in my office really changed. You know, I had, um, I had staff members that had Crohn's disease and chronic pain issues, and they were completely resolved and they were so thankful. And they would naturally be ambassadors for that. Even before I got in the room, they would be sharing their testimony. You know, I suffered Crohn's disease for 25 years of my life and I listened to Dr. Stoll and it's gone. And so before I even entered the room, the patients were asking about it because my staff had changed. Uh, and so, you know, everything in my office changed and people would come in and they would be well and it'd be their last visit and they would bring me bags of kale from their garden because we had talked about gardening along the way. And I would tell them, you know, you don't have to see me here anymore. And I, you know, I would discharge patients, which I never thought would be possible. It was, you know, it, it's incredible how hope came back into my life because everything around me also changed. You're exactly right. So your ecosystem of medicine is sick, right? It's a sick care system. Right. So you're, you're being you know, reimbursed on procedures. You're being reimbursed on what you can do to the patient, not removing a patient from the system, saving money that way. I mean, that would make total sense, right? <laughs> Let's take the burden off the system by reversing the disease or preventing the disease in the first place. I mean, it just, you know, they're like, but their prevention is early diagnostics, mammography, blood tests, you know, different medications to prevent certain things, which are all fine, but they don't have the place that this power of the nutrition that can be so elevated. Um, I, I just, ah, yeah, you're exactly right. I don't think patients understand the administrative burden that many people are under. One, not only to take care of a more complex patient, right? You know, even I've only been practicing physician. I graduated in 03, then during my time in residency, and then you're, you know, you know, private practice or working for a hospital. Wow, the complexity and the number of medications that patients are on, that alone takes 10 minutes just to make sure there's not any, you know, cross reactions and is this new symptom related to a medication or even if you knew their medications, many of them, you know, I would give mine a list. I said, bring this back list with any new medications that are added because I need to know if you don't know, how am I supposed to know what's going on? So it's very frustrating. But you also work with Rodell, right? That's right. So, um, you know, the quick backstory on that, because, you know, it's, everything is a story and a narrative, and that's what makes it interesting. And, you know, in fact, uh, I remember my, my 96 year old grandfather just passed away recently. Oh, I'm sorry. He was such an amazing, uh, well, this is, yeah, he was just an amazing guy, and I learned so much from him. Mm. But uh, even in like the challenging situations, he would always tell me, Scotty, this is going to make a great story someday. And, you know, he just loved to tell stories and life is a story. And I think stories, um, you know, really help to hold us all together, the narrative of life. And so the, the background narrative on the Rodale project is that, uh, you know, I, I really started to see connections and I started to see how important, you know, growing food was in this process of eating food that makes us well. And so my son and I went, uh, decided to go to this uh, farming, organic farming conference in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So... I was the only physician there and uh, we were in this conference and I was watching a lecture by the executive director at Rodale uh, taking notes and I went back on Monday morning and I saw a woman who actually I didn't I'd been seeing her for a while and I didn't realize it was his wife and I had shared with her I just was at this farming conference and she said my husband just spoke there I said well who's your husband she said it's it's Jeff Moyer 
And I said, well, that's amazing. And she said, by the way, he's coming to see you next week for his rotator cuff. So I saw Jeff the following week and uh, he was just shocked that a physician would be at this organic farming conference. So we had a, a good conversation there. And as I was you know, doing PRP and injecting his uh, rotator cuff, we had this incredible conversation. Uh, and I shared with him what vision that I had had, which was to educate people on a farm about healthy soil and healthy plants that when they're consumed by people, they make the person healthy. And then when we're conscious of this whole process and this ecosystem um, and this food um, production line, that it makes the whole environment healthy and we can actually steward forward, you know, a healthy soil and a healthy environment because we're thinking about it intentionally and doing it the right way. And so he got so excited about that. He invited me to go share my ideas with the board of directors at the Rodale uh, company. So I went into New York City and I shared with them uh, a vision that we had had for this uh, education center on a farm. And the board of directors was very excited and they said, well, we've got land on the farm here in Kutztown, Pennsylvania, and uh, let's do it together. So we formed a partnership between the Plantrition Project and the Rodale Institute to create what we're calling as the Regenerative Health Institute. Mm. Um, with regeneration being the, the key operative word that, you know, when we do the right things to the soil, the soil regenerates and, and becomes alive. You know, right now we're losing topsoil every year. It's washing down the Mississippi River into the Gulf of Mexico because of the way that we farm. And, you know, Stanford University and the World Health Organization have said that uh, we have, you know, only about 60 years of farming left because that's all the topsoil that will remain if we don't do something different, you know, because of erosion issues. And uh, so, you know, we have to regenerate the soil. Um, so if we regenerate the soil and we take care of the soil, then the soil is alive and active and it creates healthy living plants. You know, for example, Hershey Medical Center has done some re research and they found that all the living organisms in the soil actually uh, create and then confer um, these nutrients in the plants. One of them is ergothiamine, which is phytochemical that actually is created by the living organisms and then taken up by the plants. And Hershey Medical Center has found that ergothiamine is a potent anti-cancer phytochemical that's only present in uh, plants grown in organic soil. Mm. So, you know, it creates a healthy plant. And then when we consume plants, as we know with plant-based nutrition, our bodies get healthy and at every level systemically. And then as we're doing these right things, as we're going toward a plant-based um, you know, economy, agriculturally um, and uh, economically, it changes you know, the, the whole landscape of the agricultural world and the farming world. And mm -hmm. we, you know, we start cutting back on animal agriculture, which consumes most of the land resources and water resources. So, and it saves the soil, so we're able to steward all of this forward for our children. Mm -hmm. And so this Regenerative Health um, Institute is looking at regeneration of every aspect. You know, it's regeneration mm -hmm. of the soil, regeneration of the person, regeneration, regeneration of healthcare and societies and nations as we do those right things so that healthcare is not eroding the financial foundations of these countries. And then finally, it's regenerative environment. You know, it's, we always talk about environmental sustainability but we really don't want to sustain where we are right now. It's, we're not right. in a very good place environmentally. We actually need to regenerate the system. Wow. Uh, so our vision is this 25,000 square foot health education center on the Rodale farm where people can come and be in the presence of this beautiful organic farm 
they can walk through this organic um, education center and see living soil and learn about the organisms in the soil. They can learn about plants. Um, they can learn about you know, the environment and growing food. We're gonna have indoor and outdoor kitchens and, and culinary opportunities for people to learn to cook food because that's the interface of all the science. And then the reality of actually doing it is preparing really delicious meals. Cool. Now, where are you in long in that project? Is that available now? We are fundraising right now um, for the project and hope to break ground, you know, fall or spring this next year. We have two, um, two events that we're doing uh, as a part of this Regenerative Health Institute this year. We have two, B, uh, two PBS programs that will be produced in September, and I'm going to be doing some uh, cooking with two um, chefs. Um, one is the CEO and founder of Tender Greens. And the other is actually one of our board members, Gianna Simone, who's an actress in uh, Hollywood. And so we're going to be cooking, but in the process of cooking and making really delicious food, we're going to be talking about this whole process of soil and growing plants and how they affect our bodies and environmental health. So it should be a really kind of fun, dynamic culinary experience. And then the other thing we're doing this fall is a, a soil and human health summit for scientists. When is that and where is that? Is there links? That's going to be in October. We, um, we don't have a date yet set for that, but um, it will be okay. both on the Christian website and the Rodale website. As Rodale well. website. Okay, so I'll definitely link the Rodale and the Plantation, all that information. So how does someone, I'm just at a, you know, speaking from complete nativity, how do you regenerate soil or how do we recover lost topsoil? What's really interesting, uh, Rodale has done this and, and they've proven this um, through a number of their farming system trials that they have on the farm. Um, one of the issues that uh, is part of common agriculture today is that we till the soil. So we, mm -hmm. you know, we take big tills through there, we chop it up, the soil is exposed to you know, all of the elements, the radiation from the sun, rain. Um, Rodale has really pioneered um, the, the cover crops and so Rodale has spreadsheets uh, for all of their fields and none of their fields remain uncovered. So as, as soon as they're harvesting, they're actually planting another crop to cover the field. And they will plant you know, a variety of different plants which help to uh, bring nitrogen from the atmosphere and, and uh, infuse that back into the soil. Uh, they, the plants, as they die, they actually become biomass in the soil. And they developed a, a tool called a roller crimper so they'll, they'll grow these, these cover crops and they let them grow. And then they have this machine that comes along and it bends over the cover crop and it just folds it on top of the soil. And then right behind that, that um, roller crimper is a, um, it's a sharp planter. So it just runs a little tiny slice into the ground underneath the cover crop and it plants the seeds. So now you have seeds protected by cover crops protected from the elements, they're able to grow up. And as they grow up, the cover crop dies, it becomes new biomass, it generates new soil, and it uh, puts new nutrition and minerals back into the soil. And then the, the breakdown of the fibers and the bacteria feed the living organisms. Wow, that is incredible. So then now many people ask, well, what about pests and the use of pesticides? So how does that prevent the need to use things like chemical pesticides and such? Yeah, these are great questions, Lori. So, you know, a couple of things. The, um, they have found that, and it's very similar to human bodies, that as the soil gets healthier and the plants grow, that they become more and more resistant to, 
you know, bacteria, infections, and even pests, they are able to fight those things off. Just like when, as our bodies become healthier by consuming, you know, plant-based diet, we become more resistant to diseases and even outside infections as our immune system becomes more and more robust. And the same thing for plants. The health of the plant really is dependent upon the health of the soil and the amount of living matter in that soil. It's actually biomass. So that's the first aspect. Um, the second is that they are learning to use, um, you know, different uh, types of growing situations and plants and even plants that attract insects that would kill the insects that would eat the plant. So they've done a lot of, of research and they plant, you know, rows of these kind of um, companion type plants that will draw in insects to eat the other insects that will, you know, help to keep the fields healthy. So it's wow. a really dynamic living system. Again, it's that ecosystem we've talked about throughout this whole interview. And in, right. some, in that way, their plants are really, really healthy. The research has also shown something very interesting about plants. When a plant is unhealthy, it actually sends out signals into the air that attract insects to kill the plant. And so an unhealthy plant becomes an attractant for pests. Wow, really? Now, isn't that interesting? Mother Nature's like, I'm sick, take care of this so it doesn't spread. That's right. Isn't this interesting, though? I like, I like how you describe that as it's surrounding living system, right? It's very similar if you compare us to humans, right? We've now become more isolated, we're alone, we're sicker than we are. And when, you know, we send out vibes and energy and we, we seem to attract more of it, but you know, it's, it's, we are as healthy as in what they've done studies, right? We're as healthy as the people that we're with. We're more likely to be obese if we have loved ones or even they're too removed loved one's best friend's cousin next door is obese, we're likely to be obese, which is, I find really interesting that you can make that comparison, but the, uh, that is really cool. Could you send me the link for that? Because I would like to share that as well. I think that's absolutely fascinating. But you know, this, this goes back, because you and I are both believers, to this is such an amazing place that we live. And it's so complex and so many things that we're still learning that for me, I can't help but be, have a faith in this God that created all this. For me, that is how I see it. And, you know, I think that alone gives hope because someone designed this that I don't need to fix. I just need to know how to act right in my system. I need to eat those plants. I need to be a responsible steward of the resources that are given to us and to our kids and stuff. So I think that's just utterly fascinating. I just, I wonder at the complexity of life. And that's, that's, you know, one of my joys, and it's a, it's a little bit kind of funny, but I just love to get as deep as I possibly can to understanding all of these complexities at the molecular and biochemical level, because you see that everything is connected, everything is interrelated, you know, everything is dependent upon the other, and when all of those things in that system are healthy, it just works perfectly. Mm -hmm. and, you know, we see that when people make the right lifestyle choices and they're mm -hmm. you know, releasing anxiety and depression when they're active, when they're sleeping, when they're connected, you know, in a community of love, when they're eating the right food, that whole ecosystem of relational humanity functions beautifully, mm -hmm. you know, but as it starts to break down, as we see in our culture today, in so many places, it becomes very dysfunctional and it's dysfunctionality. It's much like we just talked about the plants where 
you know, it just almost brings in more destruction to just kind of wipe it out and start fresh. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I mean, there's a different vibe of someone, right? So I know we've all been in presence of people who are just like, they're so energetic and happy and joyful or almost at that peace. I always, I'm always attracted to those individuals or almost like you who have a certain peace and quality and wisdom. I tend to get a little skittish, you know, excited, but um, more people are calmer <laughs> than I am. But you know, I'm just so, I'm always amazed at like, what is the inner peace? And that is part of your system that you created, right? You have your wife, your beautiful wife, and your six amazing children and now grandbaby. And so there's just some amazing system that you created that allows you to regenerate you, you know, your place. I don't know. I guess it's, I guess it's your ecosystem is so healthy, what you're feeding your body, the relationships you're creating. Yes. And, you know, we've intentionally worked on those areas in our life. It's, mm. I think today, because of the world that we live in, that you really do need to you know, consciously make choices to put those things in order in your life. And, you know, it necessarily means that we exclude other things, just like a plant-based diet. We, in order to be healthy, we have to exclude certain things. And, mm -hmm. you know, we tried to do that with our own family. We've removed things that were distraction that would cause relational challenges. Mm -hmm. um, and we've worked to build certain things in our lives that bring about peace and joy and amazing relationships and abundance and light and fulfillment. And then out of that place, we have so much that we can give. And I think mm -hmm. that's exciting. It's not all, we're not doing it really just for us because our desire as a family, my wife and I, is to make a difference in this world and to help all of the people that we see around us that really are hopeless and they, they need help, you know. Mm. Uh, it's our great joy to do that. And so, we build these things in our lives so that we can have the, the resources and the energy to change people's lives. Absolutely. I think that and it's a beautiful mission for sure. <laughs> so now let's move to the journal, the journal. Ah, we had a wonderful meeting today. So I'm very excited about this. So share with us the journal and how that was inspired and your partnership with Dan Purgis and how that evolved in where you think we should be going and what is your hope and how Dr. Kim Williams got involved, who I'm also so thrilled to even be in the presence of. It's like, this is so cool. I get to hang out with all of you guys. Like, Jesus, so awesome. So I mean, for me, it's just, it's just, it's just fun to be here, but tell me, tell me what you are. You're the master vision builder for sure. Please share. <laughs> yeah, so I, um, you know, it's, I guess the, the lesson for all of us is that, um, you know, when you, when you have a vision, you just keep moving forward in the direction of the vision, and eventually, you know, it, it kind of comes to pass, and, you know, God brings all these right people into your, into your life that have, you know, skill sets and abilities and talents and resources that you don't have, and the vision will spring to life, and so, um, you know, as you and I have talked about when we started the Plantrition Project, kind of, you know, on our list of things to do many years ago was one to start a scientific journal. And it was actually, you know, at the beginning of, uh, or at the end of last year, it was pretty low on our list because we didn't have the finances to do that. However, I got a call uh, from a gentleman named Dan Purchase, who's now become a wonderful friend. And, uh, you know, Dan is, um, is a Wall Street uh, person who, who was very successful in Wall Street and has since retired. And as I know, most of your listeners know, he reversed his own heart disease and became a passionate and energetic advocate for whole food plant-based diets. And now, you know, has changed many of our lives. So 
he called me and I, I went and met him at his uh, Upper East Side apartment, uh, you know, right before um, Christmas time. And we had an amazing conversation. And uh, we, I spent the whole day there and we just kind of went through all the different things that, uh, you know, both of us are thinking about. And, and he said, you know, one of the things that he would like to do is to help to fund at the start or the beginning of a journal because he recognized that um, that was something that was lacking. And so, you know, we both uh, found a, a real seed of commonality and an, an excitement around that project. And so Dan and his great generosity planted a financial seed in the Planned Christian project that allowed us to, to really move forward. And that seed inspired so many others to plant seeds. And we've raised you know, a significant amount of money now out of mm -hmm. the, the generosity of, uh, of so many people to bring this journal and make it a reality. And uh, then you know, we were blessed with incredible people like yourself who um, you know, have such incredible administrative gifts and skills to pull all of these things together, Lori. And so we were so grateful that you joined the team because it wouldn't happen without your you know, uh, daily administrative guidance. And it's, it's an interesting process <laughs> you, because it, none of us have ever launched a journal before. I mean, obviously we read journals and others have done studies and done as the researcher, but it's, it's a whole other beast to look at the actual building foundation and you want it to be a solid foundation with policies, procedures, and then there's the technical aspect of it and searching for partners to help you in that process, which is very exciting because we're moving. Now I see a very rapid progression. You know, this is kind of like just trying to figure out the steps and moving in in your organization. But now it's so exciting that I just can hardly stand myself. It's just gonna, I just, I feel like we're really be out to take off. And it's, it's, yeah, just, know, it's, it's so thrilling. It's so exciting because I, you know, after meeting with Dan, we had this great vision for starting this journal. But I often imagine it was like, you know, we got blueprints to build a house and we're standing on this barren lot and we're like, okay, <laughs> never built a house before. Now what? <laughs> what are we supposed to do? The thing is, we weren't handed a set of blueprints either. <laughs> <laughs> We were, we were, we were, we were <laughs> basically like, we have a vision. Okay. Now <laughs> what is the first step? And it's like, I don't even know, <laughs> but it's uh, you know, it's just the love that the nice thing is it's the commonality of the vision. Right. And they were all coming at different angles and, um, and just, you just got to keep digging until you find the people and the resources to, to put it all together. And then you start seeing the pattern emerge and then you start talking to people who've done something similar and there's this piece and then they make these suggestions like, oh, okay, things are starting to make, and I'm <laughs> building this, this framework now that now or it's like really getting the meat on it. We built a skeleton, at least the framework and the, and the different things, but now we're starting to put the meat on it and that is the cool thing to see that happen. It is, it's just some dogged determination. You know, always <laughs> being willing to say, well, there's got to be a way, you know, when the changes, it's okay because there's got to be a way. And we just keep looking and searching and you do an amazing job of researching. It's and a lot of rabbit holes. <laughs> I think it's so important for everybody that's listening to understand that, you know, when you have a vision and you're doing something and even like changing to a whole food plant-based diet, you know, mm. it takes some determination. It takes 
you know, discipline, and it takes a willingness sometimes to go down rabbit holes. And maybe a rabbit hole, you know, for somebody that's starting out is you make a meal and it tastes really bad, you know, which still happens at our house occasionally, you know, we try something new and the children all say, yeah, not so <laughs> you know, it's, you just get up the next day and you look for another avenue. And so that's, right. you know, the process of this journal. That's what we've learned. It is, and doors have shut, and other doors open. And uh, for me, I feel it's the hand of God guiding us to a place that's going to be tremendous, um, that allows us to be more flexible in our administration of the journal, our sharing of the journal, and, and open access. Like you, you know, we want this to be available to everyone. Can you share with us what that means exactly? Open access, because I know we did an earlier interview but i want to share it here as well yeah so one of you know our vision for the journal is that it becomes this um this incredible like repository um and trusted source of science on plant-based nutrition and reversing disease um, and in order to do that we need to make sure that the information is available to all and you know one of the challenges that um, has existed in the past in journals and research is that most of the information is held by journals that are subscription only. And then if you go online and you're actually looking for the article, you find that it's hidden behind a paywall. So they'll often give you a little bit of the information, but in order to see the whole article, which is really important, as you and I know, we need to see methods and we need to see the statistical analysis. We need to understand the study mm -hmm. so we can um, make an assessment on the quality of the conclusions. Mm -hmm. And so these, these studies are hidden behind paywalls and the articles can sometimes be very expensive and prohibitorily, you know, if they can be $40, $50 just to download one article. And I've done this before we download the article and it's really not very helpful. So I just spent $50 on something that ends up getting thrown away. Mm -hmm. So open access is really making information uh, free and available to everybody that has an interest in learning more. And in that way, it levels the playing field for researchers all over the world that are you know, in, in small practices or small institutions where they don't have access to this kind of information. Now they'll have access to the top information on whole food plant-based nutrition. And um, they can use that to build better research studies, write better papers, write, write better books, uh, disseminate more truthful information. Absolutely. And then we also have the digest, the disease reversal digest, which is going to be where we're taking that research and plus other information and translating it for the general public so that they can actually get truth in nutrition. That's right. That's exciting. I love that. Yeah. And then we're going to have video X, you know, abstracts. We'll have videos interviewing a variety of individuals who are part of the projects or, you know, there's just, just so much that we're going to be doing. It's just, we want patients to also write their story, but then we have, you know, the physician hopefully would come back and say, okay, and here's the studies to help prove why this patient got better, why they reversed their diabetes and how plant-based nutrition was actually proven that. So it's a kind of reversal case report. So I thought it was really fascinating. So we're, we're really trying to be innovative and, and, you know, really engage the audience. We want to be very uh, uh, available on social media. I don't think anyone's probably ever had access to the, the growing and the launching of our journal, like we're giving them access here. And uh, I think that's a fascinating, going to be really a fascinating uh, journey to, to jump on with us. 
I think so too. And I love the disease uh, digest, disease reversal digest because it's going to make that information, you know, as the research is coming out and as we're learning about it, putting together the journal, we'll be able to take that information and write it in more common terms that I think even us physicians would appreciate sometimes. Yes. <laughs> available to the general public so that, you know, people can learn as the research is coming out. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited about that because I think as the, as all of us kind of have a greater knowledge base and we can answer some of the outstanding questions, I think it's going to help the entire movement. And I think that's really important for me is that we're not going to have, you know, some non-scientific public entity, Time Magazine, or some, you know, Huffington Post, summarize some, oh, fat is back, and, you know, just basically taking the science and warping it and not looking at the, you know, the uh, quality of the, the research and the impact that this could have gets confusing the public. So what we want to do, what I want to do, I will be doing this, is, re is, is interviewing the authors and saying, hey, tell me about your research and what implications should it have? Should, how far should someone take this? Is like, is this like, you're definitive, you've had so much research and now this is kind of like just confirmation that someone should eat a cup of blueberries every day or whatever it may be. How should they incorporate this into their life or not? You know, maybe we'll hear about the study and then, you know, let the authors who actually did the science dictate the, the effect that we should be mitigating with the public and with the public. So I think that's really important. So when we do see these things like, no, no, go back to where the science came from. This is what they said. This is, so there's no misinterpretation. This is from the mouths of the people who actually did the study. And so I think that's really fascinating. I think that's going to be a unique twist and turn on it as well. So I do too. And I think all of us, you and I and Dan, and I, I know Kim Williams, who's going to be our editor in chief, you know, we really have a heart's desire to be honest and to speak with integrity and yes. to not take anything and try and twist it to make it fit. But we really want to have integrity in, in science. There's no hidden agenda other than we want people to get well and do it right. There really is not, there's really nothing else that can, we can say. It's just, this is, this is who we are. We're pretty transparent. <laughs> I think that's amazing. Is there anything so i know we've talked a lot of a lot of different things you know your personal story your practice the plantrician project the rodell institute the journal and that is so many parts of you i honestly not sure how you uh, stay focused and do all the many things that you do because there's many other things such as what you're doing in midland texas the heart of West Texas. I trained in Lubbock, which is not very far. We're talking ranchers, <laughs> dairy farms, and cotton. And so tell me, yeah. <laughs> tell me what you're doing there, because I think that is also fabulous to see a community, really a, a healthcare system leading the way, right? Yeah, I think we can learn some really valuable lessons from, you know, what's going on in Midland. I, um, you know, after our first conference, I had this amazing uh, opportunity to meet Dr. Staten Autry, who's a cardiothoracic surgeon at Midland, and his wife, Blythe Autry, who is a nurse. And we developed a friendship. We have a lot of things in common. And, um, you know, Staten is really passionate. And he went home and he thought to himself, well, I've got to do something, you know, to help my hospital. 
So he invited me to come and do a CME event for the uh, hospital staff to meet with some of the executive staff and then to speak at a church. And so I went out and I spoke at all of those places and met with the staff and I gave them a few challenges. Um, and so that planted some seeds and then Staten cultivated the seeds that were planted. He, you know, when, after I left, he built upon that little bit of success and he started a small journal club for people that were interested. He started talking to some of the executive staff and he started having some regular meetings. And then I went back again in six months and we did another, you know, small conference. And um, about that time, there was a, there, an executive there named Marcy Madrid who was uh, suffering from MS. And she had gone through all of the you know, ABC drugs and was not able to tolerate them. Um, and you know, in this process, learned about whole food plant-based diet and presented that to a neurologist who's also a physician at the hospital. And he said, if you're not gonna take the drugs, then you can't be my patient. So he fired her. And uh, so she said, well, I don't have a doctor. I can't take drugs, so I'm gonna change my diet. And she did just that. And she reversed her MS, including spinal cord lesions and a large, you know, periventricular lesion on her brain and her symptoms reversed. She found another physician in Dallas, who's one of the top researchers in Texas. And he saw the MRIs and the change in six months. And he became so inspired that they're doing research now um, at his institution. So it's, it's, you know, that changed her. So now we have Staten, a physician, and we have an executive who are passionate about plant-based nutrition. And one of the secrets to the success in Midland uh, is that they formed a little community dinner. And so they, you know, every month they had a community dinner that was open to patients, hospital staff, anybody in the community, and they would get together. And it started out very small, you know, eight, 10 people, potluck. They would bring people in, answer questions, have a nice opportunity to visit, enjoy some really good food. It eventually grew and they started bringing in some outside speakers. But it served as like that nidus of change in the community um, that on a, on a regular basis, people were communing together around a good meal, sharing ideas, maintaining inspiration, planning, organizing. And out of that community dinner came uh, this incredible transformation of the healthcare system that we see today. I've been going back every six months and it has grown now. They do a large food as medicine event. And we had 750 people there at the food as medicine event. They've opened a lifestyle medicine center at the hospital. Their um, culinary staff and chef from the kitchen came to the plantrition project. And they began transforming their kitchen, offering some plant-based meals to patients and to staff. They got rid of the fryers. They've gotten rid of a lot of the junk food you know, at the checkout stands. They started um, building community gardens, working with the schools to build gardens. Uh, they're working with the Better Business Bureau. They're doing educational projects now for the school. Um, and now more research is coming out of this institution. So, you know, this little West Texas community oriented healthcare system is undergoing a radical transformation. Mm. And, uh, you know, just one more piece, they, you know, when they looked at this, they realized that, you know, this is going to not necessarily be a, a profit base, but, you know, it's a hospital community center that's already in the red. So they said, you know, what are the two places that we can invest right now that may actually improve our bottom line? So they invested in programs for their hospital employees and for the underinsured population that they were taking care of. And that's where they directed their attention. And those two populations have started to see improvements. They're saving money in those two populations. 
And now they're taking the information that they've built and they're gonna start packaging that into uh, corporate and executive wellness programs that can actually begin generating some revenue for the hospital. Nice. So, and there are many other ways that they're using information, but they've been very thoughtful and intentional along the way about um, you know, transforming the system in every way using plant-based nutrition. So this, this and this came from an individual with a vision and an idea and inspired. So how many years ago was this? Uh, this was, was that about 2000 and it's probably five years ago. Wow. And that rapid change in just five years. Amazing change. Yes. That's incredible. I need to, I need to meet Dr. Autry and, and, and Marcy. I've emailed Marcy, but I think she got, I got spammed email or something, but I saw a video on the American College of Lifestyle Medicine about her story. (laughs) I was like, wow, that's incredible. Reminds me of of, uh, Dr. Stancic. Yes. who's MS reversed as well. And talk about hope. Oh my goodness. You have a debilitating disease like that. Wow. Yeah, so there's, is there anything else that I, <laughs> that's all the things that I couldn't think of that I just, I know of. I, is there, is there anything else that you should feel like we should share or advice or encouragement to those well, I think, you know, maybe in some later programs, we can come back and we can talk about families and children. Oh, and, yes. You know, those are some having, you know, I have six children at home and now a grandchild. Oh. Um, so, and, uh, you know, we just finished the pediatric quick start guide and have an amazing group of pediatricians with the Plant Nutrition Project. Oh, wow. A great conversation around um, children and, and athletes as well. There's some marvelous information about athletes. That, um, yeah, and I think each of those, honestly, could be individual because they're so robust as far as children's you know health because these are things that are are neglected right we just as parents they're busy they just feed their kids and they don't think about those long-term consequences yeah that's Um, right that's right and then of course athletes because i think that inspires many an individual who you know they dream of being on the olympic stage such as you (laughs) well that's so wonderful well any final words of wisdom Uh, uh, two things um Yes. So one, there was this little quote that I used to keep on my desk all through, med- uh, all through college and medical school. And uh, it was just a three by five card and I taped it on my desk. And it's just, I, you know, my children know it and I think it's just so valuable. But the little quote said, if you'll do today what others won't, you can do tomorrow what others can't. Right. And, you know, it speaks so profoundly to every part of our life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just working in those really important aspects of life and not letting the tyranny of the urgent and things that are not really meaningful to us, like you know, uh, social media and television and all these things steal from our lives those things that are most important. Mm-hmm. And we know it's true with plant-based nutrition. If we just eat the right food today, our future is radically transformed. And we can do things mm-hmm. in the future that, that other people will scratch their heads and say, well, how, are you, how can you do that at 75? Right? It's because we're, we're faithful to do those little things today. I think you're, go ahead. ahead. No, I just think just to, just to echo what you're saying here, I think you're exactly right. Take ourselves out of this monotonous, you know, daily grind that we put ourselves through. We go to bed, we get up, we read our emails before we get out of bed. We eat the same breakfast. We drive to work the same way. We interact with the same people. We come home, watch television, you do your extras, whatever. And then you go back to bed. This is different, right? You're, you're, you're pulling yourself and you're giving people the opportunity to do the gifts that they were given. 
That's right. Yeah. Well, what was your second? I'm and sorry. The second is uh, something that we, um, you know, we, I, I've always said to my children every day, and it's such a good reminder, even for us, that every day when we get up and we leave our house, I tell my children, and I actually tell myself that I'm going to go out today, I'm going to speak life, I'm going to show love, I'm going to shine my light, and I'm going to share my gift. And if we just learn to live in that way, speaking life, showing love, shining our light, and sharing our gift, we transform the world around us. Speak, I love it. Life, love, light, and a gift. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's fair. It's fabulous. I'll tell you what. I so enjoy speaking to you and I just know everyone who's listening is going to enjoy this conversation and it's, I can't thank you enough. Well, Lori, it has been <laughs> such an honor. I so value your friendship. You're an amazing person. And I've been and, so honored in this last hour with you and with your incredible guests. Thank you. No, thank you. And I, and I, I can't begin to say thank you. I'm just humbled to be in the presence of the people I get to be with in this journey. It's just insane joy isn't it people could only understand all right well thank you everyone for listening and thank you dr stoll once again